Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. I am all teary-eyed now with uh, that last song. It got me fired up. It uh, got me thinking about... um, not only Ezekiel and, and, his, and, and his experience when the Lord is revealing to him those dry bones and them coming to life and God's power and, and his spirit uh, working and, and moving, but it, it also got me to thinking about the Valley of Soka in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when the men of Israel are being faced with the, the, the soldiers of the Philistines and that giant comes out every day and challenges the men of Israel to a duel and nobody in Israel, nobody would, would be willing to go and go eye to eye and toe to toe and face to face with the giant because they were fearful of him. And there's a sense in which all of the army of Israel were dry bones. They, they were dead men because they were fearing man more than they had an awe of God. And it made me think about David, the, the teenage young boy who, who comes to give some sandwiches and some, some food to his older brothers who were part of the army. And he takes, he takes this look at, at what's going on and he, he says, sees the army over there defying the living God, and he sees the army over here who belongs to the living God, and he said, what is going on here? What is the problem? And he, he looks over across the way, and he finally says, I will go. I will go face this giant. And he stands in front of him, I don't know how many yards away, and, and he says to that giant, he says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you today in the name of the Lord of hosts. And we know the rest of the story. That young man had passion for the Almighty God. This weekend, we started off with the young adults, and we talked about having passion for your Savior. And last night, we addressed having passion for your calling in your life. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the glory of God is at stake with the decisions that you make and the life that you, la- the life that you live. And there is nothing more significant than whether or not you are living your life out of a heart of passion for the glory of God, just like David had 3,000 years ago. And so what I want to ask you to do is, if you have your Bibles, if you've got your phones that you can turn to a Bible, go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. The title of the message today is Passion for Your Church passion for your church because the church is the army of the living God today. We are an army. And I want to I really want to just call you to to today to have passion for your God that manifests itself in a passion for your church. 
The literary context of of Acts chapter 1 is is simply that this is the testimony of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the first century church. That's what's going on. We often call Acts, it's not necessarily prescriptive. You're not going to see a lot of instructions to the church. It's actually descriptive. It's describing the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the the church. But this is what I want to tell you, is that even though it's not prescriptive, prescribing things to you and that it's descriptive it's describing the work of the holy spirit in the life of the church this is what we know it is definitely instructive it's instructive to us because paul tells timothy that all scripture is inspired by god and it is useful for rebuking correcting teaching and training in righteousness and so let's let this book of acts this morning instruct us in being passionate for our church And seeing the Holy Spirit work in the life of our church. Just to give you a little running start, a little historical perspective as we launch into the end of Acts chapter 2. The leaders of the church have been commissioned by Jesus. He is resurrected from the dead and he's looked at them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And what does he say? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so they've been commissioned and, and Jesus, the head of the church, has been exalted. They actually watched him go into the air. And they see him basically consumed by this cloud of glory. And the angels who were right there with these disciples, they said, hey, hey, he's going to come back just the way you just saw him leave. But So Jesus has gone. And then in, and at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we see that the Holy Spirit, the, the power of the church has come down into that room where the disciples were waiting on him. And, and so they, they have these tongues of fire, this Holy Spirit that is empowering them and charging them. And we see the preachers of the church, they've spoken right here in verses 14 through 36, where Peter stands up and, and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words, this Jesus whom you have crucified. And he has been exalted, though. You need to give your life to him. Give your heart to him. And they say, well, what do we need to do? And they say, and he says this, that you need to repent of your sins and be baptized. And I was fresh on my mind when I watched these brothers all get baptized. They were expressing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by saying, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I come out alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were following in the pattern of Acts chapter 2 when 3,000 people had gotten saved. Okay, I want us to read Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47 because we're going to ask the question, how did the Spirit-filled church live? How did the passionate Spirit-filled church live? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. Wow. So if we want to ask the question, how did this passionate church live? How did this spirit-filled, passionate church live? If we ask that question, then Dr. Luke, who writes this letter, gives us really five answers. Gives us five answers in how this passionate church lived. And the first, the first way in which they lived is that they had a common resolve. A common resolve. If you look down at verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Another way to say that is they had a resolve. They had a spirit-led determination to live a gospel life together. That's what it means to be devoted, to have resolve. It is to have the Holy Spirit inside of you that provokes you and motivates you to live a disciplined gospel life together with the people of God. They were devoted. They had a resolve. You know, there, there is a difference between involvement and commitment. If you're involved in something, you can go to it or not go to it. You can participate in it or not participate in it. You can pick and choose what you want to do, when you want to do, how you want to do, because you're just merely involved. But if you are committed, if you are resolved, if you are devoted, then you are all in. You, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your time, your talent, your treasure is all in for this thing that you're devoted to. We've all heard for years, you know, if you, if you had ham and eggs for breakfast, you realized that it, you had one, per, one individual that was involved and another was committed. You know, the chicken was involved in the process. The pig was totally committed, right? Why, the, the, the pig was all in, all sacrifice, right? So, so we think about this resolve that passionate Christians have, we, we really have to ask the question, well, okay, they're committed. They're resolved. They've got this determination. But what have they resolved themselves to do? If you look down at the passage, it really tells us they were resolved to learn the Word of God. Look at verse 42. They, they, they were committed to the apostles' teaching. Like They were committed to listen to the apostles teach the word of God, and they were committed to learn the word of God and let the word of God sink down into their heart so that it shapes the way that they think and the things that they desire and what they long after. That's what they were committed to first. You see, we, in our age today, we, we, really, 
we kind of want to focus on or be, even be inclined to just think about the worship experience. And I want to tell you, it's like I said last night to the band, that it, this band up here is so incredible and I'm so thankful for it. But this is what I can tell you. This is what I can tell you. If you want to go high in worship of God, then you better go deep in your knowledge of God. Because the deeper you go in your knowledge of God, the higher you can go in your worship of God. And that is what these Christians were resolved to do. They were resolved to learn the word of God. What else were they resolved to do? Look back down at the passage. They were resolved to partner with the people of God. This word fellowship. You see there how they were committed to the fellowship? Koinonia. Some of you guys know that word. It has this idea of linking arms with other people in gospel love. We, I love Christ. You love Christ. Let's get together as we love Christ and let's walk in this life together, arm in arm, hand in hand, and let's, let's, let's take other people along with us as we share God's love with one another. That's what they were resolved to do. My favorite, my favorite 19th century Christian is a man by the name of J.C. Ryle. And I want to give you a statement that he made in my favorite book called Holiness. The true Christian regards all Christ's friends as his friends. Members of the same body, children of the same family, soldiers of the same army, travelers to the same home. When he meets them, he feels as if he had long known them. He's more at home with them in a few minutes than he is with many worldly people after an acquaintance of several years. And what is the secret of all this? It is affection to the same Savior and love to the same Lord. Woo! So they were resolved to partner with one another in, 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 in gospel love. They were resolved, if you look back down at the passage, to remember the Son of God. He's like, where do you see that? Look, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Well, what does that mean? It means eating meals together and celebrating communion together. That's what it means. It means they cooked together, they prepared together, they ate together, they talked together, they laughed together, they cleaned up their meal together. That's what they did. They shared a meal together. And what happens when you share a meal together? You talk, you listen, you laugh, you express concern, you engage in relationship. And that is exactly what this church did. They engaged in relationship around the eating of meals. And I would just say this, if you want to be a passionate church, if you want to be a passionate church that experiences revival this year as you walk together, then I dare you to share meals together. I dare you to share your home with other believers in this church together because what will happen is that you will grow in your love and your appreciation for one another and you will be going toward the trajectory of the glory of God. But they celebrated communion together as well. They, they, what, what, does that, what does that really mean? It means that they remembered the cross when they got together through the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine because they knew that the body of the, of the, 
of the person of Jesus was remembered in the bread and the blood of Jesus was remembered in the wine. And every time they took that special meal together, they were reflecting on the powerful gospel that had saved each of them. You know, when there's a lot consumed in that phrase, the breaking of bread. But at the very root, you're remembering the cross. And I would just ask you, for a moment. Let's just remember the cross right now. I I would even ask you if you'd be willing to close your eyes for a moment. Close your eyes and think of the cross because at the cross, Jesus was abandoned so you could be rescued. At the cross, Jesus was rejected so you could be received. At the cross, Jesus was forsaken so you could be forgiven. At the cross, Jesus was wounded so you could be healed. At the cross, Jesus was punished so you could be purchased. He was humiliated so you could be elevated. He he was denigrated so you could be regenerated. He was declared guilty so you could be declared righteous. At the cross, he hung his head so you could lift yours up this morning and sing hallelujah. What a savior. At the cross. At the cross. You can open your eyes now, but this is what I just want us to realize, that the early church, they were committed to the breaking of bread together so that they would not forget the cross of Jesus Christ. And they were also resolved to call on the power of God. If you look back down at verse 42, it says, the prayers. The prayers. See that definite article right before the word prayers, the prayers? These were, these were like set prayers and spontaneous prayers. These were prayers that they had learned through the Psalms, through the Psalter. These were prayers that had been passed down to them that glorified God, but they were also spontaneous and natural prayers as they gathered together and expressed their needs and desires and passions and say, brother, let me pray for you. Sisters, let's gather together and let's pray to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, but they were resolved to come together and to call upon the power of God and say, God, would you flood our emptiness with your fullness? Would you flood our weakness with your strength and let us see you move them in our midst? They were resolved to learn the word of God. They were resolved to fellowship with the people of God. They were resolved to celebrate the cross of the Son of God. And they were resolved to pray and to gain the power of God. They had a common resolve. Second, I want us to see that they had a common reverence. A common reverence. R-E-V-E-R-E-N-C-E. Reverence. Reverence. The text says, awe, awe came upon every soul. What's interesting is that, is that original word that's used there in, in the Greek language is actually where we get our word phobia. I have a phobia about this. I have a phobia about falling out of a plane. I, I, I have a phobia about maybe um, going out in the open water where I can't see land. And like, I, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to get near that because that, that scares me. We get 
our word phobia from this Greek word. And so it has this concept of fear. It has this concept of respect. It has this, this, this concept more really of this is that we respect this thing. We have, we have like this fear of this thing, but we're also intrigued by it. We're, we, we have this sense of, of uh, respect and awe and like that is an awesome thing, but it's also a bit scary. And that is what the church had. They had awe as they watched and experienced the Holy Spirit move in their midst. A couple of years ago, my family and I planned for a year and then took a trip that we called the Wild West Adventure. And we got in our car and we had a pop-up camper and we, we, we traveled from Anniston, Alabama and went up to Mississippi and Tennessee and over to Arkansas and and into Kansas and Colorado, and we experienced a lot of cool things along the way as we would just drive and look and stop over, and we saw canyons and wonderful bridges and waterfalls and, 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 the, and the whole nine yards, and it was just a wonderful experience um, and a sanctifying experience as well as uh, all of us were within four feet of each other 90% of the trip, so you can only imagine what that was like with five individuals. But we kept talking up the pinnacle of the trip, and the pinnacle point of our trip was Yosemite. Because my wife and I, when I was in seminary, had been to Yosemite about five times, and we wanted to show our boys this amazing feat of Almighty God. And so I want to ask you, how odd would it have been if we have traveled the 2,000 miles and the couple of weeks to get to Yosemite National Park and we're approaching it and we see signs, Yosemite 100 miles away, Yosemite 70 miles away, Yosemite 50 miles away, Yosemite 30 miles away, Yosemite 10 miles away. And all of a sudden, I stop the car, I pull it over on the side of the road and I say, everybody, everybody out, get out. Let's get over here by this sign right here. You see, Yosemite National Park, 10 miles away. And there's a little picture of Half Dome and all of that on the sign and, and we set up our tripod and we get together as a family and, and, and we take a picture and we're all smiles right in front of the sign and then we say, okay, all right, that's awesome. Everybody get back in the car and I do a U-turn and we head back to Anniston, Alabama. Now, that's pretty ridiculous but I want to tell you something about the human heart. The human heart is hardwired to take its awe off of the majesty and power and glory of God and to place it on the signpost that God himself has created. Things like games and work and family and life and money. And we want to have awe over the created things rather than the creator. And that is just as absurd as standing by a signpost of Yosemite National Park. You see, we are called to be in awe of the creator, not the created things. The early church had power and passion because it was directed toward him and not themselves or the things that God had created. 
that is significant in our lives of worship and to be passionate toward him. I guess I would offer to you a question this morning. What do you find yourself in the most awe of? If you just be honest with yourself, what thrills you the most? What gives you the greatest sense of reverence? What gives you the greatest sense of, this is awesome, this is, this is awesome. Whatever that is, that's really what you worship. I want to call you today to rediscover your awe of Almighty God in the face and in the person of Jesus Christ. Because that is where revival will begin in this church. A common reverence. Third, we also see a, a common regard, R-E-G-A-R-D, regard, because what you see is they have a regard for each other's presence. Look back down at the passage. It says that all who believed were together. Like The people who believed the gospel actually prioritized being together with one another. They not only had a regard for each other's presence, they had a regard for each other's lives. Look at that phrase, they had all things in common. Wow, like their spirit was basically saying this, your life is as valuable as my life. So whatever is mine is yours. And we'll just trust that you have the same spirit, that whatever is yours is mine. They had regard for each other's lives and regard for each other's needs. It says that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to each other as they had need. That is amazing. They cared for each other so much. So they had a regard for each other's presence. They had a regard for each other's lives. They had a, a regard for each other's needs. But what I, what I don't see here, and I think that you won't see it either, is that they did not have a regard for their own stuff. Like, they sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to anybody who had need. This is what they understood, that they weren't an owner of anything that they had. They were merely a steward of everything that God had given them. They had a common regard. Because before we look further, I always want you to see the second word in that first sentence there. And all... All who believed were together and had all things in common. I love the, I love the, the slide here, 2020, the year of revival. I love the, the concept. I love the vision for that. I love, the, I love the, the pursuit of that. But I just want to be very real with you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son, this church will not experience revival unless you get all in. Because you see, that, that whole 2080 rule will work. Like, like 80% of the people will do 20% of the work of worship and 20% of the people will do 80% of the work and worship. And, and churches can function that way. Churches can get along that way. Churches can reach their budget that way. Churches can do programs that way. But churches will not experience revival that way. A common regard. Fourth, let's see that they had a common rhythm. 
a common rhythm. It says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Look at the rhythm of corporate worship. Day by day, attending the temple. Like they live in Jerusalem, and so they worship at the Jerusalem temple, and they all go together, worshiping Yahweh as he's been revealed to them in the person of Jesus Christ. They have the rhythm of personal hospitality. They're going from home to home to home. And they have this rhythm of grace-filled relationships. Look at this gladness. Look at this generosity that is consuming their midst. That is a beautiful picture. Like they didn't just go through religious motions. Their hearts were involved. Their hearts were invested. Their hearts were all in with one another. And they had this this rhythm. Look at the very end of that statement of, of winsome adoration. Look, they were praising God Church, they were praising God, and therefore, what did they have? Look down at the passage. What did they have because they were praising God? Favor with all the people. Favor with all the people. They were so known by their winsome love and their adoration of God and their generosity and their grace-filled relationships that people on the outside looked in on the inside, and they said, I want what they have. I want what they have. Could I be a part of what you have? And they welcomed them with glad and generous hearts, and they said, come on in, brother and sister. You're part of our family now. A common rhythm. And finally, a common result. Look at this. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Because they had a common resolve, because they had a common reverence, because they had a common regard, because they had a common rhythm, they also had a common result. A common result. And that result was that the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's make a few observations here. As we look at this, the last part of this text, let's make a few observations. First observation, look down at the passage. They didn't add to their number. Who added to their number? God did. The Lord did. He sovereignly and powerfully added to their number. The second observation let's make is that their number, quote-unquote number, wasn't an insignificant matter. They actually had a number of church members. They actually had a number of the people who were all in in Jerusalem At this New Testament church, this Holy Spirit-filled church, they had numbered the people so that they knew who was a part of their ministry. It's not insignificant. And the third observation, they didn't host a special event to add to their number. They had a daily walk that served that purpose. Like, you know, we can do a lot of different events and things and all of all of the things that God often uses to bring people into the fold of God, into the people of God. But make no mistake about this, the most powerful testimony and the most winsome way to add to the number of the church is the daily walk, the daily life, and the daily rhythm of the people of God together. It is winsome, it is effective, and God blesses it. And so, 
As we walk through 42 to 47, we see a common resolve, a common reverence, a common regard, a common rhythm, and a common result. That concludes this week's message. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.